This morning we do begin our next sermon series, which is in the book of Exodus. And so in order to begin, would you please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Yes, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. One last time this morning before we jump into Exodus, because if you turn there quickly, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, Paul says this. He says, for I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And if you're not familiar with these things, all of those things happened in the book of Exodus. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, Paul says, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is talking about the book of Exodus. He says, This book was written for us. Church, how amazing! How wonderful that God would care enough for us to speak to us through his word, to give us truth to hold on to, to give us powerful examples to follow and to learn from. Okay, now flip over in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 1. This book, church family, is going to be so good for our souls. We need the lessons and the truth of God that is found in this extraordinary book. Let's begin this morning by reading Exodus chapter 1 verses 1 to 14. Moses writes this, these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher, all the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and in brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Let me begin by asking a rather sobering question. How long can a person endure suffering? 
How long can a person keep living when they are subjected to pain and affliction and torture? If you've ever watched an adventure movie, you have probably seen a scene or two where someone is being brutally tortured. And the question is always, how long can they endure that torture before they break? How long can a person endure suffering? That might feel like an obscure question, but it really is not. It's not obscure because there is so much suffering in our own lives. There is so much pain in all of our lives. Some some of us would even say that our circumstances are, are torturous to us right now. Pain and suffering are so real. And the book of Exodus proves this. Now, this book is amazing in how it helps and encourages us as God's people, but but Exodus is filled with suffering. Verse 12 speaks of the oppression of Pharaoh. Verse 13 says that the people were made to work ruthlessly as slaves. And then next week, we're going to see even more ways that they suffered. And and this suffering was not just for a short period of time. Even though the narrative takes off and is very fast-paced and quickly moves to the story of Moses, we know, we know from what God prophesied to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 15, and we just know from how long it takes 70 people to multiply into this large nation of Israel, we know that they were enslaved for 400 years. 400 years of ruthless slavery. How long can a person endure suffering? How long can a person survive torture? Church, I do not know what pain or suffering you are enduring personally. I do not know what external bondage you are under. I don't know who is hurting you, nor do I know what internal bondage you are enduring. I do not know what demons you have within you, what bondage you feel in your soul, what darkness you live with on a daily basis. I don't know how ruthless your personal pain is or how much you might even hate yourself. But here's what I do know. As we start this new year together in 2023, the book of Exodus is able to encourage us and to help us. The book of Exodus is going to strengthen us, church. It's going to cause us, by God's grace, to to bear up under the weight of suffering and pain. It's going to help us, by God's grace, to not let our knees buckle under the agony of our circumstances. No, the book of Exodus is going to strengthen us in our weakness and give us hope in our darkness. And here's how it's going to do it. It's going to do all of that not by helping us or encouraging us to think more positively about ourselves. Listen, Exodus is not a self-help book, okay? This is not Joel Olstein or Paula White talking about how we need to look deep in ourselves to find hope. No, the book of Exodus is not a life coach that you might find on Instagram with the 10 best hacks at your best life now. No, Exodus is going to strengthen us By revealing to us that our strength to endure, our hope for the future is not found in us, but in God. My friends, the main character of this story is not Moses. It's certainly not the villain Pharaoh, nor is it the people of Israel. The main character of this book is God. 
It is God himself. Moses, being led by the Holy Spirit, writes these 40 chapters of an account of what happened in Egypt and then in the wilderness. And he writes it in a way to strengthen us. And he does so not by showing how strong we are, but by showing how strong and faithful God is. In Exodus chapter 34... When the people of Israel have failed again and again and again, God appears to Moses and he describes himself. Do you know how God describes himself in Exodus 34? He says of himself, I am the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and listen, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Those self-describing words of God, oh church, they are so important for us today. They're so important for us to hear. Who is our God? He is the one who abounds in steadfast love and faithfulness. These words, these self-describing words, they speak of our God's constancy, his dependability, His reliability in every area and every circumstance of life. How long can a person survive suffering? Well, that depends whether they know this God or not. That depends on whether they know the one true God who is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. If they do know this God, well, then they can survive and they can thrive forever. They can endure anything because this God is by their side and his faithfulness will always outlast their sorrow. That's actually our main idea for our sermon this morning. Our main idea is this, God's faithfulness, church, will outlast all suffering in your life. God's faithfulness will outlast all suffering in your life. And we have three points, Israel's suffering, God's faithfulness, and our hope. Let's begin with the first, point number one. Israel's suffering. Friends, the very name of this book speaks of the burden of this book. It's named Exodus. It speaks of us needing to be delivered, that we would be brought out, that we would be able to escape or exit from something bad. And we need this deliverance, the, the need for this escape, this exodus from suffering. It's, it's immediately evident in the text before us. We, we see the word Egypt twice in the first seven verses. And when we studied the book of Genesis a few years ago, we saw there regularly how Egypt was always bad. Egypt is not the promised land. It's not where God intended for his people to dwell. Now, if you remember from Genesis, God had allowed them to go to Egypt. In his providence, in his sovereignty, God had allowed Joseph's brothers to sell Joseph into slavery so that Joseph would go before them and be sovereignly used by God in Egypt to protect Egypt from the horrific famine that was coming and then indirectly to protect and to preserve all of God's family. But here we find that this family is still in Egypt and a whole lot of time has gone by. And without a doubt, there is now a need for escape. In verse 8, you can see how the situation has deteriorated. At first, the the Pharaoh who knew Joseph honored him and his family because of the work that Joseph had done to help Egypt. But now, once Joseph has died and his brothers have died, it says, another Pharaoh arose 
who did not feel that same need to honor and to respect Joseph. And he began to be greatly concerned about the number of Israelites in Egypt. They were, they were becoming a danger to Egypt. This Pharaoh says in verse 10 that his concern is that if war broke out between Egypt and another nation, the people of Israel could easily join with that nation and attack Egypt from within and undermine them in that way. And so the Egyptians decided to deal shrewdly with them. They decided to take taskmasters over them and to afflict them with heavy burdens. Pharaoh and his people decided to oppress and to enslave the people of God. And friends, in all of this, we, we can and should see and acknowledge the presence of external bondage and oppression in our own lives. The people of Israel were ruthlessly subjected to slavery. This this kind of slavery is bad. It's it's painful. It's hard. It's evil. We're supposed to read this and we're supposed to immediately begin to think of oppression in our own lives. We may not be enslaved right now in the same way, but listen, as you know, there's no lack of evil around us. Not only are there many places in the world where people still are enslaved, but there are all forms of external oppression around us. In the the same way that Moses describes this situation for the Israelites as ruthless and, and bitter, so we can see and feel the ruthlessness and the bitterness of this world around us as well, don't we? We live in the same broken world that the Israelites did. We live in a world with real slavery, with sex trafficking, with racism and genocide and spousal abuse and sexual abuse of all kinds and marital divorce and we live in a world with cruel bosses and managers and corrupt politicians and negligent spouses, manipulative family members. We see people's voices being silenced. We see wrongful agendas promoted. We see those in power vying for more power and those under weakness being subjected to more weakness. It may look a little bit different than it did for the Israelites, but their suffering is our suffering. Christian, if you are feeling oppressed right now, if you are feeling beaten down, if you feel that you have some form of a a cruel taskmaster over your life who is making your life bitter, this book is for you. And listen, maybe the cruel taskmaster comes in a different form. Maybe... There's not external oppression in your life. Maybe your oppression comes from within. Maybe your own mental weakness is oppressing you. Maybe you feel like you can't even think straight right now. Maybe because of past mistakes, you feel like you deserve to to hate yourself and you are whipping your own back into submission by telling yourself that you're broken and unlovable and hopeless. Maybe your taskmaster is your own sin. Maybe you're not a Christian yet and you you can't break free from the bondage and enslavement of your sinful mistakes. Maybe you are a Christian and even though you are now a slave to Christ Jesus, you still feel like sin has too much power in your life. Maybe you feel like you're too weak to not abuse alcohol, too weak to not look at porn, too weak to, to stop allowing your past to dictate your present. Maybe because of sin and pride in your heart, the internal oppression has led you to be the external oppressor in someone else's life. 
Maybe because of sin, you are the ruthless taskmaster. Maybe because of fear or anger or pride or embarrassment in your heart, you can't stop dealing shrewdly and cruelly with those around you. Maybe other people are oppressed by you. You know, all of us would do well as we start this study together, not just to think about how we are like the Israelites, but also to consider how because of our sin and pride, how in some ways we may be like Pharaoh. Here's the reality. Our enemy is from without and from within. Clearly, Pharaoh and his superpower nation of Egypt is the focus in this immediate text. But what we, what we see in this text and throughout the whole book is that the people of God have to deal not just with Pharaoh and the enemies from without, but they have to deal with themselves. In fact, verses 2 to 5, when Moses goes through the names of Joseph's brothers, and then if you look at verse 6, he says that, that Joseph and all of his brothers died, that the language there reminds us of Genesis chapter 5, where there was a long genealogy, and Moses, who wrote that as well, said about each person in that genealogy, and they died, and they died, and they died. Death is a reminder to us that our enemy is not only the superpower nation who might oppress us or reign over us, but also the sin that dwells within us bringing death. E even when God delivered Israel from Egypt, what, what happens to the people of God? They get stuck in the wilderness because they grumble and complain and they get angry and they fall into sexual immorality. They create a, a golden calf to worship instead of the one true God. It's, it's horrible to read. Israel's need to exit and to escape bondage is not just from Egypt or from Pharaoh. It's also from their own hearts. And church, it's the same for all of us as well. We need deliverance. We need deliverance from the power of sin in this world and in our own hearts and souls. And so my friend, are you suffering today? Are you suffering from without or from within? Are you feeling beaten down? When you read in verse 14 that their lives were made bitter and bitter with hard service, do you feel like that is you? Do you feel physically and emotionally and spiritually and mentally like you're about to break? Like you can't endure another moment of pain or mental fatigue. Have you even said these words, even from this past week? I don't know if I can go on. I don't know how I can survive this any longer. I feel like I'm about to break. My friend, Exodus is for you. Through this book, God himself is going to declare very loudly over your life that his faithfulness, his love his steadfast mercy and grace, they can and they will outlast all suffering in your life. God's faithfulness will outlast all suffering in your life. And that brings us to point number two, God's faithfulness. How long can a person or a group of people survive suffering? 400 years is a very long time. Without a doubt, they must have begun to question God's faithfulness, right? Maybe you today are questioning God's faithfulness in your own life. Because of my suffering, has God's promises failed? Has he failed to be good to me like he said that he would? There seems to be a lack of God's 
goodness in these verses, just as there often seems to be a lack of God's goodness in our own lives and circumstances. But listen, this does not mean that God is absent, nor does this mean that there is any, any reason to doubt him this morning. Look at verse 1 with me. Uh, you won't actually see it in your version. In verse 1, in the original Hebrew, it actually says, and these are the names of the sons of Israel. And, that, that little word and, listen, it shows continuity between this book of Exodus and the book of Genesis which preceded it. These two books are not to be read separately, they are to be read together. And when they are read together, certain of the words in our text here this morning become much more meaningful. Again, this list of names in verses 2 to 5, it's not just a, a random list of names. No, this list calls to mind all the stories of Genesis about Abraham and Sarah and their son Isaac and Isaac's sons Jacob who was named Israel and his 12 sons after him. And if you're familiar with the book of Genesis, as we studied it just a, a year or so ago, you know that they are not an impressive family. <laughs> Do you remember? Jacob and his sons, they are a hot mess. They're, they're all over the place. They themselves are enslavers. They themselves are abusers. They are fearful cowards. There are really only a, a few moments in the book of Genesis when people like Judah and Joseph show to be so strong in some small ways. But overall, there's just a whole lot of weakness. And so how do we see God's faithfulness in that? Well, when we read in Exodus... Well, when we read Exodus in the light of Genesis, we quickly remember how constant God's covenant love was in Genesis. Despite all of that brokenness and all of that weakness, God was faithful. He, he was faithful even in the, the darkest moments, like when Joseph is sold into slavery by his own brothers. In fact, if you have your Bibles open, if you just go across the page to Genesis chapter 50, you will read Joseph's words in chapter 50, verse 20, when he says to them that what they intended for evil, God intended behind the scenes, in his providence, in his sovereignty, God intended it for good. And friends, with that backdrop, it makes us now look intently for hints of God's presence and providence even in Exodus chapter 1 as well. As dire and as dark as this chapter seems to be, we must remember that God, the God of Genesis is the God of Exodus and he is still in the business of proving himself faithful. And it's actually not that hard to see. There are bright signs even in the darkness of these verses. Did you notice how it talks about Israel being fruitful and multiplying greatly. I think that's in verses 7 and 8, right? Despite all of their suffering, they, they're fruitful, they multiply greatly. Th those words, to multiply and to be fruitful and to increase greatly, those, those words should stand out to us as readers of the Pentateuch. They should stand out to us. They, they should remind us of Genesis chapters 1 and 2 when God created and instructed Adam and Eve to be fruitful and to multiply. Fruitfulness is part of God's original 
design. Those words should remind us of Genesis chapter 12 when God promised to make Abraham into a great nation. They should remind us of Genesis chapter 17 when God said to Abraham, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Listen, he says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And so we see even in this passage in Exodus chapter 1 that in the midst of suffering, in the midst of bondage and slavery, God is being faithful. He is being faithful to his promise. And so what that shows us, and what Exodus will show us in a plethora of different ways, is that even when life does not feel like it is going well, God's faithfulness is not in question. Even when life feels like it is on the downward trajectory, if our faith is in the one true God who dismantles and disarms all false gods, who is steadfast in his love and faithfulness, well, then our lives are actually on the upward trajectory. Listen, if if our faith is in the true and living God who is steadfast in love and faithfulness, our suffering today is actually being used by him to increase blessing in our lives. It's amazing, but it's true. Believe it. Did you notice how in verse 12 it says that the more that they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. Their level of suffering... Their level of pain was not an accurate indicator of their level of blessing. Their suffering did not determine whether God was present or absent in their lives. Christian, please hear this today. Suffering does not mean that God is angry or absent from you. If if you are a Christian and your faith is in King Jesus, God is no longer punishing you. Your suffering, your pain, your trials, they do not mean that you are experiencing the disfavor or displeasure of God. No, it actually means that like a loving and generous father, he has good in store for you. Scripture says this and Scripture proves this again and again and again that God has the power to use our pain and sorrow in order to bring about extraordinary good in our lives and in this world. You may not see your situation change right away or for 400 years, but you can see your faith in God multiply. You can see him increase your strength and steadfastness. You can see him make your life into a beautiful and powerful testimony of his grace as you cling to him in every circumstance. You can see him give you the peace that surpasses understanding in the midst of your trial. Your trial may remain, but God's grace and favor can still multiply in your life. And... Let us remember that he also has the power to bring an end to the suffering and pain. He he does not want it to continue forever. No, he can and he will deliver us from all suffering and pain, maybe at times in this life through a Red Sea, but other times in the life to come. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 was all about. The deliverance may not happen today. The deliverance may not happen this year. The deliverance may not happen in our lifetime, but the faithfulness of God will always outlast suffering in your life. This book is going to be a wonderful demonstration of God's faithfulness to us. 
Our God is going to show us here how he is able to systematically dismantle all of the false gods of Egypt and all of the false gods of our lives one by one. He's going to show how he is able to, to part a sea of water and allow his people to walk through on dry land. He's going to show us that despite his holiness and his need to punish our sin, he is merciful and gracious and he is slow to anger. And he is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He's going to show us how faithful he is in his mercy and love and grace. He's, we're going to see so many pictures of the gospel in this book. And that's why we need Exodus. Because with enemies from without and enemies from within, we need a savior. We need to be brought out of our bondage and we need to be given a place to belong. Friends, no one has done that more for us than Jesus himself. Jesus is the ultimate Moses. He was faithful. He came. He even went out into the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4. And he was tempted like the Israelites were tempted. But he passed his test without fail. Throughout, through his perfect life, he fulfilled the very law that he gave to Moses on Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 20 to 24 and through his death he became the Passover lamb first seen in Exodus chapter 12 through his death he covered us with his blood why so that the wrath of God the, so that death itself might pass over us leaving us unharmed he has been faithful he has been faithful and he wants to lead us according to his faithfulness according to his strength and power our faithful God father son and holy spirit they are the heroes of this book and so as we begin this year together no matter what hard circumstances lay before us and I am confident there are many you and I have hope and that brings us to point number three our hope Israel's suffering God's faithfulness and our hope how long can a person survive under suffering is, is one question to ask. But, but how long can a person survive under suffering with or without hope is another question altogether. Having hope can completely change a person's ability to endure hard things. Now, we don't, we don't see exactly how the people of Israel endured each day or each year of their suffering. Did, did they have constant hope throughout these 400 years? Or did their faith and hope waver? I, I think we can be confident, and we will see it in this book, that like all of us, there were times when they had great hope in God and believed in him for his promises. And there were probably many times when their hope grew weak. 400 years is a long time. But what is very clear here is that God was still active among them and God was still sustaining them even in their weakness of faith. God preserved them day by day and God was working through them. I love how in verse 9, if you look at it, Pharaoh, this new Pharaoh says, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and they are too mighty. It's not just that they were numerous now. It was that they were a formidable strength, that they had a formidable strength about them. That likely was somewhat numerical, but it probably also showed how they seemed to bear up under their oppression throughout the years. Suffering did not crush them. Next week, we're going to see that the fear of the Lord 
Trust in God is still present in the people of God. It is alive and well among their faith in God had not gone away. Their faith, their hope was strong and it gave them this mighty strength that Pharaoh was so fearful of. They grew many and they grew mighty. This is what hope in God can do for his people. And friends, this is what hope in God can do for you today. And this is what hope in God can do for you here in 2023. As we imagine these these 400 years of suffering, we can quickly imagine these people telling stories of God's faithfulness and his providence. Sitting around the dinner table telling the stories of, of God providing a child for Abraham and Sarah after waiting so many years. Stories of of God providing a ram for for Abraham to sacrifice instead of his son Isaac. Stories of God protecting Jacob and his sons through Joseph going into Egypt. Stories of God saving Abraham and and Isaac out of Egypt previously. The, The promises of the covenant made by God about blessing and multiplying his people. They could have just sat around talking about it in faith and with hope. The story of the rainbow after the flood. We can imagine them recalling these things and we can imagine how they found hope in these things. And we can imagine how they found strength in these things. And church, this is exactly what Exodus is going to do for us. As we study this ancient book together, we are going to be given hope. Hope and strength to to bear up under the weight of our trials. We too will see the mighty works of God on our behalf and we will be given hope. Christian, as we consider how God is going to topple every false Egyptian God, as we consider how he will deliver his people from slavery through the waters of the Red Sea, as we consider how water is going to come out of a rock and bread is going to come down from heaven as provision, as we consider how God intends to dwell with his people in the tabernacle despite their sinfulness, as we consider his patience and gentle love towards them, as we consider how even after 400 years, God was still the same faithful God from Genesis, we will be given hope. We'll be given hope because we'll be reminded of how this faithful God did not stop in Genesis and how this faithful God did not stop in Exodus. No, this faithful God has been faithful to all of us by sending his son to save us from all oppression, to crush enemies from without and from within under his feet. We will remember that because of the gospel, God's faithfulness will always outlast all suffering in our lives. And friends, this will make us rejoice. We're going to sing this year together. We're going to celebrate this year because even in the face of danger and death, our hope in God is unchanged. This year we'll be able to sing. We're going to be able to sing even with Moses and the people of Israel in Exodus chapter 15, verses 2 and 3. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. We will be able to sing with Moses from verse 13 of Exodus chapter 15. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. We'll be able to sing with Moses in verse 18. The Lord will reign forever and ever. 
And we will sing and dance with Miriam from verse 21. Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Redeemer family, I don't know whether this will be a year of suffering or a year of prosperity. Maybe a little bit of both. But I do know that we will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Let's pray.